Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk radio show. Here's a quick announcement. Our July heart-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine designed to help moms build a better future for themselves, their families, and loved ones is now live at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. By the way, our August edition will be live early next week. July's theme is a summer of smiles and happiness, our blessed moments. August's theme is wrapping up summer with a high note of inspiring words. The magazine offers inspirational stories from our dedicated team of experts to help you navigate your current situation with confidence in your motherhood journey as the COO, if not the CEO, of your family. So please go to inspirationsforbetterliving.com and treat yourself to some engaging, entertaining, and enlightening stories. You deserve it. As for our radio show today, my guest for this morning is Jessica Formicolo. Jessica is a former psychotherapist turned food critic, cookbook author, food judge, TV personality, recipe developer, and owner of Savory Experiments. She has contributed and appeared in Better Homes and Gardens, Parade Magazine, Mashed, The Daily Meal, National Enquirer, Closer, Brilliant Baking, and Country Living. You can also catch her on local and national news providing cooking demos for over 100-plus brand partnerships. Jessica is passionate about her family, food, and travel. She lives with her wonderful husband, daughter, and son, Thomas, who is lovingly known as Tata. As you already know, the kitchen is the heart of every home. And for Jessica, it is a creative cooking stage for exploring all the possibilities to turn home-cooked meals to a new level of tasty exquisites. Jessica's book, Beef It Up, 50 Mouth-Watering Recipes for Ground Beef, Steaks, Stews, Roasts, Ribs, and More, offers 50 tasty ways to serve protein-rich beef meals without fuss. To complement her extensive collection of delicious recipes, the book is also filled with beautiful, juicy photos to provide the inspirations and confidence we all need in delivering a great, spectacular meal every time. As for our kitchen table conversation this morning, Jessica and I will be talking about her remarkable life's journey and how we can enjoy our time in the kitchen by cooking and serving restaurant quality meals from her new book, Beef It Up. Good morning, Jessica. Happy Wednesday and welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you with me. Beef It Up is a beautifully crafted and designed cookbook. It is extremely engaging and a fun read. The instructions are easy to follow and the mouth-watering visual photos are over the top. So congratulations on this release. Thank you. I'm really proud of it. It was an excellent, excellent finished product. <laughs> like all the food <laughs> that I see in it. So yeah, that's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walk through your life from childhood to the present moment. Well, I was born in Denver, Colorado. I lived there with my mom, dad, and my younger sister, Jacqueline. She's about four years younger than me. And we moved from there to Texas, to Dallas, actually, and then to Maryland, and then to Long Island, New York, to go there. And then I came down to Baltimore, Maryland, where I still live, to go to school. So I got my bachelor's and my master's at 
Towson University here in Baltimore. And I became a psychotherapist. So I, I loved it. I loved helping people. I loved helping people live their best life and get through really challenging times. And it was a lot of fun. But my life took a very unexpected turn, I guess you would say, when my husband and I got married and tried to have kids. And we weren't able to. We had a really long fertility journey that lasted seven years before we had our daughter, Vivian, who is about to turn six in October. It was um, lots of ups and downs. And I quickly realized as a psychotherapist and the importance of self-care that I needed to find an outlet for myself. And food had always been something my husband and I had enjoyed. I'd always loved cooking, but not really on a professional level, if you will. I would cook for our friends, though. None of us were from Baltimore, and we still loved the concept of family Sunday dinners because we both come from big Italian families. So we'd have our friends over for dinner on Sundays, and that was kind of my platform. I'd plan all week long about what I was going to make and learn about it and practice, and then I'd cook a big dinner for all of our friends. And they started asking me for the recipes. And I didn't have them because I am terrible at following recipes. I always <laughs> ad-lib them, add a little bit of this and a little bit of that and change the quantities. And so I had to start writing them down. So one day at work, a patient no-showed, didn't show for their appointment. And I, I literally Googled how to start a blog. And I started writing the recipes in this blog so that it was just a central location for my friends to be able to come back and find the recipes that I was creating. But it, it started to grow some momentum. I remember the day I came home and told my husband that 30 whole people had looked at my blog that day, like 30 people that I did not know had somehow found these recipes. And at the time, this is long before Instagram and the age mm -hmm. of influencers. And, and there was Twitter and Facebook, and that was about it. I had no idea that food blogging was a thing. For me, it was an outlet that I could do that didn't have me focused on what was going on in our journey to be parents mm -hmm. because that was really challenging and I just needed something to get my mind off of it. And I kind of upped the ante there. That was when I raised the bar and said, okay, well, maybe I should add photos to this or start talking a little bit more about things. And readers really liked that. They liked the fact that mm -hmm. there was a takeaway that I was, giving them information that wasn't just used in my recipes, that they could use in other recipes and their recipes, a better understanding of ingredients and how they work together and why they work together so that they could become a better home cook. And there wasn't this feeling of, you know, you have to use my recipes. It was uh, <laughs> every recipe is great in its own way. There's no the best of anything. We all yeah. have different ties to things for different reasons. And having that flexibility and approachability and the fact that I wasn't a culinary, you know, French-trained chef, that I was somebody that was just like them, learning, and also sharing my failures. I've shared a couple of really heinous failures, too, in the kitchen made it relatable and approachable. So when my daughter was born, a couple months before she was born, I made the decision to go full-time. And at that time, it wasn't even full-time. I wanted to be kind of have something to do on the side so I could keep myself engaged, but also have some, you know, extra money coming in for fun money for the family. 
And it just kept growing. It just kept snowballing. As I went full time, I started getting more and more work and it got to the point where I was, I was full time and then I was full time plus, and then we were hiring employees and it was just a very organic and natural growth but totally unexpected, especially considering what I'm actually trained to do. But it's Mm -hmm. become a part of our family now. It's something that we all do together. And although I'm the one doing it as a career, my husband is very involved, and so are my now two children, Thomas and Vivian. So it's, it's a lot of fun. It's you know, people tell you to do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I, I found that, and it's really exciting. That's beautiful. I agree with that because a career is a hobby that you do and you get paid for it, and hopefully a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's really wonderful. That's really great. You mentioned a little bit about being from an Italian family and so forth, and that Sunday dinner, it really resonates with me because I have a Italian foster family up in Papa Bluff, Missouri. And I remember being in the kitchen with my Italian foster mom helping to make homemade muffaladas for the holidays. And uh-huh. that was really cool. Yes, yes, that was really cool. And, of course, my Southern Belle mom in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, my host family, I would always be in the kitchen with her and cooking all from scratch, basically everything <laughs> for the holiday season as well. How did your upbringing influence your view about food, the kitchen, and mealtime? had a lot of influences. Uh, because we moved around so much, mm-hmm. we weren't always near our extended family. They have yeah. a very large extended family, but they live all over the United States. And we didn't get to spend a lot of time with them, but it really strengthened our core family unit. So mm-hmm. my mom, my dad, my sister, and I, and my mother really strived to have us all sit down for dinner every single night together, regardless of what was going on. It didn't always happen, and especially, you know, you get older and you've got things going on, and my dad was working. and But she really tried for us to all sit down at the dinner table together and have discussion and enjoy food together. Um, I would say, though, that my parents were pretty picky eaters. I know that they need to hear that now. But looking back, I'm like, oh, my gosh, they always encouraged me to try new things. They weren't trying new things. We had Mm. basically like the same 12 meals on repeat that she did very, very well. But those were Mm. our 12 meals. And so I think that part of what I do now is I, I rarely make the same thing twice. I realized that I really like to experiment in the kitchen and to try new things and new ingredients and have fun with them. And I don't want to eat the same 12 things for the rest of my life. But the whole concept of discussion and communication and having a strong core unit as a family is still very much present. Yeah, I experienced that too, because you mentioned Sunday dinner. That's the evolution of that family concept. I remember growing up in Malaysia, where we would share certainly lunchtime is a hit and miss, right? Because people work and mm-hmm. so forth. But dinner time, we all huddle together and we have those mm-hmm. wonderful family conversations about everything. And actually, that's where you learn about family secrets, about so-and-so and so-and-so. And so <laughs> mm-hmm. Especially and, if someone's had a few glasses of wine and it's nice. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and all the gossip. And also the politics behind it. If you want something to get done, you got to get the members of the family to kind of vote for you, what you want to do. 
<laughs> so you have to do mm-hmm. a little politics mm-hmm. on the side. And so that's really wonderful experiences and so forth. Who were the major influences in your life when you were growing up? Certainly my parents. Um, again, mm-hmm. moving around, you know, you didn't have these really stable people in your life except for your, your family. And my mother, mm-hmm. they, they, they were definitely a yin and a yang. My mother yeah. is very nurturing and emotional. You know, she was, she was the mom. She was the stereotypical yeah. mom and, and kind of ran the household and made sure everybody was happy and put everybody else's needs forward and right. and was always there and was very fortunate to not have to work for the majority of the time we were growing up. So she was always around and present. And my dad was a very, very hard worker. I definitely get my work ethic from him that, you do it and you do it well, no matter what you are doing. If you are the fry guy at McDonald's, you <laughs> do it the best you can possibly do it and give your mm-hmm. all. So I definitely have my work ethic from him. And, and I mean, other influences definitely came and went as we mm-hmm. moved around. Sure. But they were, they were the two stable ones. Very interesting. Having said that, you grew up in a family that sort of, have a flavor in itself, right? And food and so forth. Mm-hmm. Why psychotherapist? I mean, at the time that I decided to go be a psychotherapist, I was it was in high school. I was in uh-huh. New York, and I really struggled with high school when we moved there. I was a sophomore. I was in my sophomore year. And sophomore year in high school is, is challenging enough, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just moving and also coming in with a southern accent, saying yells and fix and twos to a very <laughs> New York community did not, uh, did not put me in the best friend group. And these are people that had, you know, grown up together, had been in cliques with each other since they were in diapers. And yeah. I just didn't fit in. And I was definitely bullied a lot. I Uh really struggled. I I did. And I think then people didn't really talk about that. It was just kind of man Mm -hmm. up and and do your best and put your head down. Now it's being talked about, which is great. But I was definitely bullied. And I was very sad. I I definitely was a depressed teenager. And my parents took me to a therapist. And Mm -hmm. that therapist you know, kind of said, listen, you know, right now, this seems like the only thing in your, in your life because it is, but you're going to grow up and you're going to do great things. And, and there's more out there for you and you need to figure out what those things are. And she really just helped me put a new lease on life, even as a teenager, even though I went mm-hmm. begrudgingly and will still begrudgingly, <laughs> you know, I told my parents she wasn't doing anything. And meanwhile, I really enjoyed going. I, I wanted to be able to do that for other people. Yeah. And that is why, you know, at the age of 18, knowing all the things I knew at the age of 18, decided that that was what I wanted to do. And I really enjoyed it. And I still mm-hmm. enjoy it. I feel like I've been able to take elements from that, like living mm-hmm. a better life, putting things in perspective, self-care, all of these types of things, and really weave them into the tapestry that is my current company, Savory Experiments. We right. take all of that stuff and talk about it a lot because food should make you happy. Food should make you smile. Food yeah. should be something that, that turns things around. And for me, it really was. It was cathartic. 
even before I started Savory Experiments, my husband would know if I, I worked at a hospital when I was practicing mm-hmm. and I was a director there. And my husband would know that there was a really, really, really rough day if he came home and there was like a five course mm-hmm. meal on the table. Because for me, <laughs> cooking was cathartic. I could put on, you know, crazy 80s music and open up a bottle of wine and just kind of uh-huh. let loose. And it, it, it can be fun. So I really like to help people reframe it to not be a chore, not something you have mm-hmm. to do and reframe it into something you get, you get to do that helps you spend time with your family and yourself and have fun with it. So in other words, the background that you have as a psychotherapist is your secret ingredient for you in the kitchen. It is, it is. And I think that that's kind of what makes it a little bit different for mm-hmm. for people is that I'm yeah. taking these things and kind of uh, putting them in there without people really even realizing that's what I'm doing. <laughs> right, right. That's the beauty of it, though, because that's the authentic you. And mm-hmm. by the fact that you have that in your background, as you mentioned, even in your cookbook here that we're going to talk about in a little bit, it's just not about the salt, the pepper. There's a lot more to it. <laughs> and that's and really what I strive for. You having your thoughts, the total you that's already been seasoned, flavored to the right flavor, doing the presentation, it makes it totally different. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that you see it. I, I'm, I'm hoping other people do too. I know they do. I mean, we've, uh, we've now over a million viewers every single, mm-hmm. you know, every mm-hmm. single month. So mm-hmm. somebody's, somebody's mm-hmm. reading it. Somebody's liking it. It is. It's interestingly enough because life is about storytelling and it's a journey, right? Mm-hmm. And as you share your kitchen journey, it engages people regardless of where they are in life. It just connects with them. That's one thing I've learned from my mom way back. Well, that's just a southern accent yonder. (laughs) 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 Is that food is a handshake that's seldom refused. 100%. Never turn down food. (laughs) And so that's the beauty of it. And you as a food connoisseur now in situations where you come in and I think it just brings the magic back, the fun. It's not a chore, but it's a beautiful celebration being in the kitchen. It is. It is. Beautiful. So how did cooking contribute to your creativity? Well, you you know, it's funny because I always, I never saw myself as being a creative. Art was never one of my strong suits. I tried music. That was not one of my things either. I really just thought I was Mm -hmm. a right-brained kind of person. And I had a friend, uh, her name is Jennifer, who was an art teacher. She was also my neighbor. And she was Mm -hmm. around when I was first starting out on this this journey. And I said something about the fact that I just wasn't artistic. And she looked Mm -hmm. at me and she said, you you are. She said, food is just your medium. You have a different medium. I paint. My medium is paint and canvas. And, but you create art with your food. And it was like she opened up a new door for me that I just hadn't seen yet in realizing that food is art. And just like art and music brings other people together and creates conversation, so does food. Like you said, mm-hmm. no one, you know, it's a handshake that no one, no one refuses. And it's very true. And you see that 
in the cooking from different different types of chefs, whether it's kind of you know down home comfort food or or very highly elevated five star Michelin mm-hmm. food. You you see the different types of creativity and the personality from the person creating it. Right, right. So true. Well, what's interesting also, I'm sure you may realize it by now, is because the fact that psychotherapy that you were in as a psychotherapist that is, that in psychotherapy, everything is individualized, right? Because, I mean, up to Mm -hmm. a certain extent, there's certain things that apply to all, and then it's individualization of each patient and so forth. Well, Cooking is the same thing. There are basic ingredients that goes everywhere, but then each meal, each dish, it's an individualization of it, mm-hmm. and it comes naturally. So. Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, a lot of this is learned too. A lot of these are things that I've learned just from kind of trial and error. It, uh-huh. it, just being in the kitchen, but I feel like that's the only way to learn them. You can only read a book so much and, and read about. <laughs> flavors and textures and how to cook things. And you don't really solidify that until you get in the kitchen and taste it and do it yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting. So how do you make cooking fun? A part of that, like I mentioned before, is reframing mm-hmm. things. I think when we start any endeavor with a negative mindset of, I have to do this. It's a chore. I have to make dinner tonight. What am I going to make dinner? You've already kind of set the stage. It's it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So you want to start it out with, what do I get to make for dinner tonight? What would make me happy? What's something fun I could do? And another piece of that is something we do in our own house, and that's involving everybody. I know a lot of moms who want to shoo their kitchen, their kids out of the kitchen because it's right. faster and easier if they do it themselves. And I allocate extra time so that my kids, even though they're young, can help me in the kitchen. They love to measure things. They like to stir things. And, yes, it's messy, but that's what's fun about it because you don't need to cry over spilled milk. If you clean up <laughs> spilled milk, like in the grand scheme of things in life, spilled milk is right. not the worst thing in the world. I like that we're creating memories. I like that they have a positive connotation with the kitchen and creating meals. And if you're a mom of young kids, especially picky eaters, kids tend to eat what they help you cook. They are much more proud of the food and adventurous in trying things when it's something that they had a part in. So my kids are, my son, not as much as my daughter, but they're both very adventurous eaters, and even more so if they've helped prepare the meal. So true, because it allows a different kind of bonding, so to speak. And, of course, it's a mind shift, Mm -hmm. too, because if you are looking it through that, don't do this, don't do that, (laughs) and you're on the wrong track. But if you look at it as a beautiful classroom, then that's where – it's sort of like hang loose. For the first time, it allows the kids to not necessarily get silly and intentionally throwing, say, flowers on the floor or anything like that, but they learn how to be mindful and be a little bit more delicate and so forth. And yet at the same time, they're connecting the authentic you as in as you hang out and like you say, you're having fun. So they're hanging out while you're having fun. Or like about that. And it's not mm-hmm. engineered that way because we all tend to do where... We create a structure, but this is in a situation where you don't create the situation. It's a natural flow, for lack of a better term. 
It is. And even when it's not a dish that maybe they can help me as much with, like today I was making a salad and it was just yeah. a lot of chopping. And obviously they're <laughs> five and four, so I'm not handing them a knife. But they sat there, we turned on some music and we had conversation and we talked to right. one another and they danced. Like you said, be silly. They were dancing to a silly song called I'm a Gummy Bear. I, you know, <laughs> but it, they were still in the kitchen with me, not on a device and having right. a conversation. And even if they're just present. That is a start. That's a yes. start towards all of these right. things we're discussing. Right. That's actually a stronger bond than let's sit down right here and have a conversation. What conversation? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's I just, just a mere I, presence. I mean, I, I mean, I'm sure we've we've all been in the car, been like, how was school today? Fine. Yeah. What'd you do? <laughs> Nothing. And even my five-year-old does that. Like, who teaches them this? But if you get them doing something, now all of a sudden you're getting, you know, a longer, bigger, better, and more intense yeah. story. Right. So true. Well, please share with us your four S's philosophy of cooking. Well, you know what, Johnny? It just, like, in the last couple of weeks got expanded to a five S philosophy. So Fantastic. We get to talk to all about all five S's. <laughs> so the five S philosophy was something that was happening naturally in all of uh -huh. our posts. When we post on savoryexperiments.com, we talk a lot about the ingredients, but also how to customize it and variations because we want to people to change it. We encourage them to. We said, you know, we've got these base recipes for dishes. We want you to take it and make it your own, and I want to hear about that. So the 5S philosophy really came out of that and the fact that I love food, and I love really, really good food, but that doesn't mean that you need to spend hours in the kitchen and marinating overnight and sous-veeing things, and it, it doesn't mean that. We can kind of make these great meals and sometimes even semi-homemade meals and we can elevate them to a restaurant quality just using a couple of basic pillars so and they all happen to have s's and so it just fell into place which is the way things should be right so the five mm -hmm. s's are salt seasoning sauces swaps and your senses so salt i i talk about the importance of salt in nearly every recipe and they're so many types of salt, and they're not all created equal. Every single global cuisine has a different type of salt that they use. So I find that for home cooks, a good place to start if you're just learning how to cook is to experiment with salt so you know what you're working with. Salt adds flavor, but it also brightens and accentuates other natural flavors. Some you cook with, something, you know, you use before as a rub mm -hmm. or a dry brine, and others you finish with, like a Maldon sea salt, a flaky sea salt, or a cell for dessert. The next thing is seasoning. So learning about dry and fresh seasonings, what they taste like, how they work with foods, and how to swap them back and forth between fresh and dry, and sauces. I always say get saucy, which some people think is hilarious. Other people are like you're 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 not that funny, Jess. But so I like to get saucy. I will tell people that one of the things that take that is different from there's two things really that really stand out from a home cooked meal and a restaurant meal, and it's sauces and plating. If you next time you go to a restaurant, look at the rundown of dishes, and every single one of them will have a sauce. It is rare that something at a restaurant is not served with some sort of sauce. 
but sauces come in a million different ways, right? You can dip it, you can drizzle it, you can slather it, you can do so many things with them. So say you have three elements. You've got, let's say, um, mashed potatoes, asparagus, and a piece of salmon. If we take those three for a dinner meal at home, you'd probably put them all on your plate, kind of segmented like an old school cafeteria dish. <laughs> but at a restaurant, they'd put the mashed potatoes on the bottom and then they'd put a few spears of asparagus on top, laid diagonally. And then they'd display the piece of salmon on top of the asparagus. They'd drizzle it with some sort of sauce, like a balsamic reduction or an aioli. And then they'd give it a sprinkle of flaky sea salt. And all of a sudden, these same three elements have turned from kind of like a meh ho-hum dish to something that's <laughs> quite elegant. In, and it didn't take much to take them there. So we really focus a lot on those sauces. And then the other thing is slops, because sometimes you forget an ingredient. Sometimes you can't get your hands on an ingredient. Sometimes you just want something different. So having this base knowledge helps you make substitutions for all of those scenarios. And then the last one that we just added was our senses because sight, smell, sound, touch, and taste are all key elements to being a really good home cook. We see things with our, we eat with our eyes before we even taste them, right? And of yes. course we smell them, but sound is a big one. And I always think of like at a Mexican restaurant <laughs> when a sizzling plate of fajitas goes by yeah. or when you're learning how to brown butter or make a roux, the smells that it goes mm -hmm. through when it travels from regular butter to a browned butter or, or a dark, dark brunette mm -hmm. roux. And then also touch, obviously, and what does it feel like, not only in your hands, but in your mouth, so that mouthfeel mm -hmm. type of element. So we talk about all of these five S's in all of our posts and not always so outwardly, but they're definitely all woven into everything we do. Yes. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Especially the last one, ironically, I'm not saying that that's the most important thing, but in the end, that's the presentation. And like you say, yes. that's how we connect uh, with food. <laughs> yeah. I mean, why is it so important to have pictures on a menu for so many people? Because mm -hmm. those are the things that gets ordered more. I and mean, you go back to kind of marketing and mind and philosophy and, and psychology, like the psychology of people and consumers. And mm -hmm. when I'm talking to restaurants, consulting with restaurants, it's the things that we can see on the menu are the things that get ordered more frequently because people yes. eat with their eyes. Yes. Or how many times have you been at a restaurant and you're perusing and then you see the waiter walk by with a dish and you're like, oh, my gosh, what is that? That, right. I don't know what it is, but that is what I'm ordering. So it's right. really important. Oh, it is. It's very visual. When I was in the restaurant industry, our menus are very colorful and the pictures are very exciting. Mm -hmm. And it challenges the cooks to make sure that when the food goes out, it looks exactly like what? The picture looks like because they're yeah, looking at yeah, that. that. Level of I'm ordering that. <laughs> uh huh. And if it doesn't look like that, we're going to have a problem. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no doubt about it. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, our podcast, available on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, Podchaser, Listen Notes, Hop Hopper. 
I'm Johnny Tan, your host. Here's a quick reminder to treat yourself to our July and August editions of our hot-centered and passion-driven Inspirations for Better Living digital magazine at inspirationsforbetterliving.com. My guest for this morning is Jessica for my color. Jessica is a former psychotherapist turned food critic, cookbook author, food judge, TV personality, recipe developer, and owner of Savory Experiments. She has contributed to and appeared in Better Homes and Gardens, Parade Magazine, MASH, The Daily Meals, National Enquirer, Closer, Brilliant Baking, and Country Living. You can also catch her on local and national news providing cooking demos for over 100-plus brand partnerships. Jessica is passionate about her family, food, and travel. She lives with her wonderful husband, daughter, and son, Thomas, who is lovingly known as Tata. As you know, the kitchen is the heart of every home. And for Jessica, it is a creative cooking stage for exploring all the possibilities to turn home-cooked meals to a new level of tasty exquisites. Jessica's book, Beef It Up, 50 Mouth-Watering Recipes for Ground Beef, Steaks, Stew, Roasts, ribs, and more offers 50 tasty ways to serve protein-rich beef meals without fuss. To complement her extensive collection of delicious recipes, the book is also filled with beautiful, juicy photos to provide the inspiration and confidence we all need in delivering great, spectacular meals every time. Our kitchen table conversation this morning is about her remarkable life's journey and how we can enjoy our time in the kitchen by cooking and serving restaurant-quality meals from a new book, Beef It Up. Let's talk about the beautiful book. Why did you author Beef It Up, Jessica? I have been in a collaboration with Certified Ingus Beef Brand for, gosh, many years, probably seven or eight years now. Mm-hmm. Beef is delicious in my point of view. Not everybody agrees <laughs> with me, but I... I, you know, as, as trends have changed and the, all these kind of weird fad diets have come out, I've always stayed true to the fact that I prefer to eat whole as much as possible. So mm-hmm. real food, not processed food. And things like beef are, and proteins like beef are often some of the least processed. There's no way to factory or corporations farm beef. And in the U.S., and especially with certified Ingus beef brand, all of them, all of the cattle that are raised come from family-owned and run farms. Most of them are naturally not given any antibiotics or GMOs or all of these other things because it's quite expensive, honestly. And But these small family-run practices can't afford the labels of organic and non-GMO because you have to pay for that. You can't just say, oh, no, it's organic. So the majority of beef sold in the U.S. is actually organic and non-GMO. It's just that these smaller farmers and ranchers can't afford to get that stamp on there. So beef is also just one whole ingredient, and it's the perfect protein. Similar to an egg, it has so many naturally occurring nutrients in it. Then it is red meat, so there's no way around that. We definitely eat it in moderation, and we look at portion sizes, but you can still enjoy it and enjoy it responsibly. So we eat at our house mostly seafood and beef. Of course, there's chicken and fish in there, or chicken and uh, pork in there too, but, Mm -hmm. but beef is really the protein that we enjoy the most. 
So when my literary agent came to me and was like, hey, listen, Story is trying to write a second (laughs) book. They had one called Winner, Winner, Chicken Dinner. They're thinking about writing one about beef. Would you be interested? And I said, you know what? I think I would. I'd had several cookbook opportunities previously that didn't seem like Mm -hmm. a good fit. And I'm very passionate about staying true to myself and making sure that I'm not, you know, just taking the paycheck and running in the other direction. They just weren't, they weren't me. And this one was. So I was really excited to enter into this union with Story and write the second book in this series about beef. That's fascinating. That's really, really great. How does your five S's philosophy in preparing beef? As you know, there's so many different cuts. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, and beef is very brown. <laughs> it's mm. not very pretty. <laughs> and so many of the beef dishes that have been made throughout the years aren't very pretty either. They've got a lot of mm. brown sauces on them and right, use right, other right, right. brown, you know, kind of like root yeah. vegetable ingredients. So we wanted to create a book that took some of these classic comfort foods but really put a new fresh spin on them and with a lot of that was color so that Mm -hmm. comes back to these senses of being able to look at things and as you've mentioned a couple of times the imageries that are in this book are just mouth-watering there's no way you don't want to make anything that your eyes touch so we, we definitely challenged the concept of brown by adding salt seasoning sauces <laughs> and swaps um, and, and making sure that they looked absolutely delicious. Mm-hmm. We elevated them there. We added a lot of fresh ingredients. We added a lot of veggies. Some of them even have fruits and made some other unexpected changes. So a lot of people think of beef and they just think of main entree, but we right. have entire sections on beef appetizers and soups and not just chilies, like actual soups, and, of course, salads. So mm-hmm. we love putting beef on salads, too, just beyond your typical steakhouse salad with blue cheese dressing. Right, right. And the beauty of it also, you came up with some really wonderful recipes. I know that you made uh, what in Malaysia we call curry puffs, and so it's a meat puff. <laughs> it's something that we don't see all the time, right? Because we think about beef mm-hmm. as like, okay, just slap it on that <laughs> plate yeah, and bring yeah, me a put steak it on a grill. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. and that was the other interesting thing is that all of the beef cookbooks that were out there, none of them were based in the kitchen. They were right. all written by men, and they were all based on a grill <laughs> or a smoker. So it was like, well, go. let me be the first female out there, and let me do it all <laughs> in the kitchen with no special equipment. It's all on the stove and in the oven. Precisely, precisely, because we got to go with what we got. And so how do you yeah. improvise? And then one thing is improvision. The next thing is coming back full circle again with your five philosophies of preparing is the whole idea of being able to really cater it to today's taste buds. And in this case, your family taste buds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And my kids were a part of all of these recipes. We, they were in the kitchen with me, their little hands, tasting <laughs> things and making things and seeing it all come together was really, really, really fun for them. I mean, my daughter at the right. time was only four, so my son was two, but he was still there and he was still eating this stuff. So I can attest to the fact that it all is family friendly. And on some of the recipes, we've even included cook's notes on how to make it even more family friendly if, say, it's 
a little bit yeah. spicy or something like that. Like this is how you can make sure that your your kids will eat this dish. Right, and you can kick it up a notch. What I like about this book right here, and I'm so glad you brought it up, now it comes to full circle for me because to me, this cookbook is really kids-friendly. I mean, mm-hmm. pictures, easy to read, colorful layouts. And so, like you say, they may not be able to hold the kitchen table knife, and you certainly don't want them to hold it, <laughs> but they can read it to you while yeah. you're cutting it. <laughs> yeah. And it becomes 100%. a team event. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And they can pick out a recipe that they want to make based on the pictures, even if they can't yes. yes, that's the whole idea. And so it's tremendous amount of interaction and engagement from this beautiful book. And I have to tell you all, you need to go get one. It's really interesting. Regardless whether you, uh, quote unquote, love cooking or not, it certainly is going to engage you to just read, and that might change your opinion about cooking. (laughs) How about preference in ingredients? I know you mentioned you use fresh stuff. Occasionally, do you use frozen at all? Because as you know, when you go into the supermarket, you got a whole section of frozen stuff, and then you got canned or farmer's market fresh. Yeah, so I I mean, I, I love fresh, but I use it all honestly. Um, Sometimes ease is is what's going to make your life easier (laughs) than having something frozen and even canned. Canned is the one thing that I kind of, I I tend to not do as much just because of Mm. sodium, but there are things like this morning, I made a chickpea salad with quinoa. And of course I did not have time to soak my own chickpeas. I bought canned chickpeas or tomatoes or things like that. But that's probably probably the most of where, where I, I draw the line with the canned, but I use a lot of frozen. Frozen foods get a bad rap, but honestly, they are usually flash frozen right after they're harvested, and sometimes mm-hmm. frozen vegetables and fruits can harness more nutrients and, and than some of the other fruits that we buy fresh at the grocery store, because all of the all of this produce starts to lose nutrient value the moment that it's picked. So if they can literally freeze it in time right after it was harvested, it contains more of those natural vitamins and minerals than some of the stuff that's then been put on a semi, you know, a tractor trailer and and shipped to your grocery store. I'm also really lucky. I kind of, I I don't live in Baltimore City, but Baltimore City still has a lot of really fresh farmer's markets. But I live Mm -hmm. kind of out in the country. So we have a lot of farm stands that are on the corner and they're based on the honor system. And they'll put out the, the... the goods that they have for the day and you'll drive by and it'll, there's a little money box and you leave your cash and you take what you need out of there, whether uh-huh. it's eggs or strawberries or blueberries or something else. So we do a lot of farmer's market fresh and local, local too. That's wonderful. That is really terrific. What's your favorite meal to prepare? Oh, hands down uh, spaghetti and meatballs. I think it's a nostalgia thing. Don't we all have something? I remember as a kid waking up on a Sunday morning, and it wasn't every Sunday because when my mother made sauce, she made a vat of sauce. It was enough to last us for months. Um, But waking up to the smell of sauteing onions and garlic, making homemade meatballs, making homemade sausage, letting it simmer all day, not being able to go anywhere because it has to be stirred every 20 minutes. Just the process of it, 
I love. It's a simple, simple, simple dish with simple ingredients, but just the putting it all together and the time and the love that goes into making it is definitely one of my absolute favorites. Interesting. That's wonderful. What is the greatest challenge in preparing Jessica's A-grade dish and meal spread? Um, most of our recipes are pretty easy and straightforward. I would say if you're preparing a meal spread, though, most of our readers would say that they struggle with kind of more of like a time management. Uh-huh. And I know even my sister, who now ironically did not grow up in food and works in food as well, when yeah. we're in the kitchen together, she even struggles with it. She's like, you know, just kind of figuring out what, what to start with first, how to time it out so that dinner gets on the table in time and not feeling yeah. stressed out about it. But yeah. it's easily easily fixed and easily learned. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. That's really true. Where can someone go to get more information about you your offerings, buy your book, and keep up with your latest happenings? Oh, savoryexperiments.com. That's kind of our main hub. We have several other websites, mydinnerrecipes.com that we just started, so it's kind of a baby blog. But we also have bestdessertrecipes.com, which is kind of baking for lazy bakers. I enjoy baked goods. I'm not the best baker <laughs> out there. So lazy bakers come to bestdessertrecipes.com. And we even started, because we are so passionate about sauces, we started mysaucerecipes.com too, which is an entire site just dedicated to sauces. So all of our socials are listed on there. We have a email that you can sign up for, and you'll get a free eight-day course on how to be a better home cook. And then all of our newest stuff right to your email box. And I have a team of people that, that help me with it, but I am still here and reading all the emails and accessible and talking to people and having conversations. So people can email me at jessica at savoryexperiments.com or message me on Facebook or Instagram. I don't know if anybody uses Twitter anymore. We still have a Twitter, but you know, I haven't I haven't gotten into the TikToks and the all the other the threads and all of the other mm. newer newer mm. social platforms, but all the old school ones I'm I'm in on. Wonderful. And also I might add, love your videos on your YouTube channel. Thank you. Thank you. My sister is actually my director and my producer. She does <laughs> cooking shows now. She was in the fashion industry and now she does cooking shows. So she I'm lucky to say that she helps she flies in from California and helps me out. So you see you can tell her now, see, now you're worth something in the kitchen, sis. <laughs> oh yeah, well she she's it's so funny because we talk about it all the time. She and I uh-huh. look physically different. I'm blonde and kind of pale. She's got dark hair and dark olive skin. Uh-huh. I am very much um kind of laid back in the kitchen and I don't follow a recipe and I, uh-huh. I eyeball my measurements. She has right. to follow a recipe to the T and she needs to measure everything and she's very calculated and I'm just not, we're polar opposites in the kitchen. <laughs> and we, we kind of joke about creating a TV show where we just banter around because I think other right. people could relate to that with their own siblings and family members. Yeah. That's interesting, though, because when I look at all my mom when they're in the kitchen, it's a pinch of this, a smidgen of that, rather than, okay, yeah, it's going to be exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. 
That was the hardest part about writing the book. I had to like stop it or writing the blog, like all of these recipes is mm. when I'm creating them, I have to stop and measure things. And what ends up happening, like this quinoa salad that I'm making this morning, I actually yeah. chop up what I think looks like the right amount and right. I measure it afterwards. So it really does start as an eyeballing it. And then right. I create the measurement afterwards to write it into the recipe. Right. That's wonderful. Really, really wonderful. How has your kitchen entrepreneurship journey impacted you personally? Oh, goodness. It's definitely just opened my eyes to the fact that um, life is what you make of it. And mm -hmm. you don't have to, especially now in the digital age, you don't have to do kind of these traditional things that and stay in these silos of a career. And yeah. you can change your career. I mean, I was almost 40 when this happened. I'm in my 40s, and I changed my career. You don't have to stay in the same place, but you can also figure out ways to take the things you love. Me, it was, you know, helping others in psychotherapy. And I actually also was a college professor at that time, too, so teaching. And weave them in with your hobby and the things you enjoy doing and create something for yourself. You can create something out of nothing and really be happy doing it. And that for me is everything. And now I'm, you know, getting to enjoy every little moment of my kids and them growing up and, and my husband and working out of my house and, and living the best life for me. Beautiful. That's really wonderful. I'm so glad that you found joy in what you're doing. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. What is next for you? Oh, goodness. I, I, I always hesitate to say because I don't even know. If you had told me three years ago I'd have a book and be on TV, I'd tell you you were crazy, and now look at me now. So I, I recently just got done doing a show here in Baltimore called Plate at Baltimore. It's available on the Very Local app, which is a host mm -hmm. media production. Um, I was really fun because I got to be a judge, and mm -hmm. I'm usually the one cooking. So I got to be on the other side. Turns out I'm really good at being judgy. They uh, painted me out to be kind of the Simon Cowell of the of the group, but I was fine with that. So I I had done TV before, but I really enjoyed that experience. And I decided that I think I want to do a little bit more TV. So I'm looking into some opportunities of having my own TV show beyond just YouTube and mm -hmm. figuring out how that works. So we're putting together some pitch decks. My sister and I are working together to, to put together some ideas to pitch to some networks. So maybe, maybe I'll be doing my own show sooner than you think. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. And if anybody out there is in the TV industry listening, give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'm so happy for you. You have the right personality and that warmth. I think that's what's important. Sometimes, I hate to say this, some of the presenters in the kitchen is kind of a little stiff. And, and especially in today's generation, and we're speaking to the millennials as well as the generation Zs and so forth, Xs, they want a little bit more personality, the real you. Everything don't have to be formal. Yeah. <laughs> no, and how can I tell people to go have fun in the kitchen if I'm not having fun myself? <laughs> and being me and making those mistakes and right. you know, flubbing on a word or it, all of those, they all, they all are important. That's right. There you go. As we close this hour, since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Oh, it sounds so cliche, but I would say laugh often. 
laugh, laugh often, and don't don't take things so seriously. I think we, even in my practice previously, mm-hmm. I found that folks would allow one incident to really pepper their entire day and and their their mood for the rest of the day. And I always ask people to put things on a scale of one to a hundred. Like how serious is this? One being, you know, a hangnail and a hundred being the worst thing you can possibly think of. And generally speaking, the thing that was, was making them upset was something that rated between a one and a 10. And you just got to learn how to brush those things off your shoulder because time is, is finite and, you don't have a lot of it and you really should embrace every every moment you have here and every moment you have with your friends and your family to the absolute fullest. That's beautiful. Really is. I mean, that's really wonderful. And try all the and... food. Never say no. <laughs> Never say no to the food. There you go. Well, in all actuality, life is a buffet line. You got to taste everything. Walk down the line. And if you like it, go back for seconds. <laughs> Really? And, and and sometimes you'll surprise yourself. I mean, we were in Japan. I know we're coming uh-huh. to the end here, but we were in Japan a couple of years ago, and um, I had the pleasure of working with a great chef. His name is Chef Honda, and he took me to the fish market. We bought a tuna together, and then he showed me how to break down the tuna, and we had knives, and we ate, mm-hmm. ate the flesh off of the different parts of the tuna to really get a sense of why and what and where it right. came from. And at the end, he offered me what is considered to be a very extreme and expensive delicacy, which was this live clam that was the size of my fist. And it was still (laughs) making sucking noises. And he was so proud to give it to me. And it was, I ate it. I ate it. I didn't say no. I took my own advice. I will will not be going back to the buffet for another one, but I did eat it. Uh, Never, never say no. There you go. There you go. That's really wonderful. I'm so glad you brought up about sort of an international flavored food. Your book covers international flavorly cooked mm-hmm. beef. We really tried to to span mm-hmm. it, but you know it's hard too. You know we want to include global inspiration, but of mm-hmm. course not any terribly authentic meals. No, but it's wonderful because this is again the things that we prepare at home. I like that from mm-hmm. that restaurant. I'm going to try it out and see how it tastes. And guess what? You can't get the seasonings in the supermarkets now. So it's not something that, oh, oh yeah. my God, I mean, it's totally, I'm out of it. No, you can get it. It's a question of putting it no, all no, together. No. And Jessica's book is going to help you to do that. <laughs> I hope so. It's all attainable. Uh that's wonderful. Jessica, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next Wednesday morning, August 9th at 10 a.m. Central Time. My guests will be Dr. Christopher and Amanda Macklin. Dr. Christopher is highly respected globally as spiritual and metaphysics lecturer, author, medical intuitive, and remote viewer. He and his wife, Amanda, co-founded the Global Enlightenment Project in Branson, Missouri, and serves an international client base, helping thousands of people rebalance and heal from various physical, mental, and emotional issues. Dr. Christopher, Amanda, and I will be having a conversation about their remarkable life's journey and his latest book, Centering the Mind, Healing Chronic Stress, Anxiety, Depression, OCD, and ADD in Children 
adolescents and adults. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to FromMyMama'sKitchenTalkRadio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed week. Jessica, it's been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and have a very blessed day in your kitchen. Thank you. You too. Take care, and bye-bye. Bye-bye.